Welcome to Off Trail Learning. This is Blake Bowles. This is episode number 20 of the podcast. It was formerly called the Real Education Podcast, and now it is the Off Trail Learning Podcast. So welcome. And I'm releasing this concurrently with a new website, offtraillearning.com, that I've spent a few months building, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about that right now. So some of you may have seen my Facebook post uh, called, I Want to Do Something Big, and this was something I posted when I was traveling in Australia earlier this year in 2016, and I had just kind of come to a point of frustration in my life with my sort of creative output. I've written three books that are guidebooks for self-educators, self-directed learners, unschoolers. But after that third book came out, The Art of Self-Directed Learning, I just felt a, a real drought in my, in my creativity and in what I can share with the world. And I realized that if I just continued writing something in that same pattern of a guidebook, then I would be just rehashing old material and I would not be offering something new and different. And so I spent a, a little while, it's about a year and a half, uh, just floundering and not really sure what to, what to produce. And man, I love writing. Ever since I started doing it back in college, it's just been this, this kind of friend to me, this companion. And so not having it in my life uh, was a, a weird experience. And last year in 2015, I experimented with doing podcasting, just pure podcasting. And that's when I recorded the 19 episodes of the Real Education Podcast and had some really great guests, a lot of leaders and directors of alternative education programs or travel and experiential programs, a few grown unschoolers. And then it petered out because I went off to Colorado to lead the adventure semester through my company, Unschool Adventures. And I was traveling in New Zealand, leading a group there, and couldn't bring my podcasting equipment with me. And so I just let it go onto hiatus. But now that I'm back with equipment, with time, with motivation, uh, that's when I penned that article at the end of my, my travels earlier this year about I want to do something big. And specifically, I've been working with teenage unschoolers for a number of years now, and specifically with kids who have already sort of figured it out and who have really wonderful, supportive parents and families, and they're already on the unschooling bandwagon. And it's been a complete joy to run programs for this group. Uh, and also, I feel like there's something missing. Uh, I was not homeschooled or unschooled. Myself, I went through public school. I did well in public school, but I was bored and not engaged for a lot of uh, that time. There was a lot of potential that went wasted there, I feel. And so for a long time, I've wanted to create something for people like me, people who were in my situation. And there are a lot more of those people out there, teenagers who are in school but are bored or unengaged or frustrated and have no outlet for these feelings. There are a lot more of those people out there than there are unschoolers. And so my desire to do something big, I've always circled back to working with young people who are still in school who I can potentially have a, uh, an impact on by uh, helping them see the, the power, the opportunity, the possibilities of self-directed learning 
in their own lives. And that doesn't mean you have to drop out of school to do it. There are many ways that you can switch schools, that you can potentially have a, a different approach in, in your same school situation. Or for a lot of young people, if you're not able to, opt to, to change your high school situation, then as soon as you get to the college age range, your options just multiply. You can take a gap year. You can choose your college. You can go to a really cool alternative college. You can do lots of cool stuff, which is not college. And so I realized that there's no sort of one place for young people to find out about all these different opportunities for being a self-directed learner, for taking control of our education. And so that's what I decided to create. And I ended up choosing the term off-trail learning, uh, which I admit is a little cheesy, but <laughs> it's, it's really hard to choose a name for, for something like this. I <laughs> uh, if you have a better idea, please email it to me. I probably won't change at this point, but I, I'd still love to hear your idea so I can slap myself in the face. The reason that I chose off-trail learning, uh, this is an analogy that I've enjoyed for a long time, and I used it in my book, The Art of Self-Directed Learning. Uh, essentially, when we are young, we are put onto a path. This is the path of traditional success. And as far as education goes, it looks like you go through K-12 through schooling, you get into the best college that you can, you study something that is going to give you a good job, and you go straight into that career field, and that's, that's the path. And for many people, this path does work. It's not like the traditional path is some giant lie, some giant fabrication. Uh, if your goal is to uh, have security, then the traditional path often works. If your goal is to have uh, people around you, to have a, a really robust community all the time, then you will be in good company on the traditional path. But for many of us, the traditional path is not liberating. It's not uh, something that fulfills us. We look around and we see a, we're on a really crowded path and everyone is vying, you know, it, an increasingly large number of people are vying for a, a shrinking number of opportunities. You can look at this through the lens of college, for example, where more and more people go to college and graduate from college. But they are taking on increasing amounts of debt to do it. And the number of job opportunities that are available after college are getting tighter and tighter. And so that's kind of a rat race, right? And so if you look at this traditional path and you say, this just does not feel like the right thing for me, or at least I want to explore other potential options, other paths, then you need to do what uh, a good, let's see, if we use our backpacking analogy here, you need to do what a good backpacker would do and get off the trail and choose a different destination or find a different path to that same destination, and this is scary. This is hard. It's difficult. Going off trail is not something, you know, I, I love trails. I'm a trail runner. I'm a hiker. I'm a backpacker. And every time that I go out and I'm on a trail that has been cut through some, you know, desolate mountainside or some, some wilderness of pure rock, then I am just so grateful to the people who made that trail because it makes travel so much easier but on the other hand, there are sometimes I just don't want to go where the trail is taking me. If you're in Yosemite National Park during the peak season and you just stick to the main trails, 
then you are going to be overwhelmed with a crushing mass of humanity. But there are so many parts of Yosemite that are beautiful wilderness areas that if you just know a little bit about how to go off trail and you have the means and the motivation to do it, if you know how to use a map and compass, if you can look at a topographic map, if you can read and research online and discover these hidden gems in other parts of the park, which are not just the main attractions, then going off trail is how you get to the really cool and interesting stuff. So this analogy definitely reflects my, my love of the outdoors and backpacking in California specifically, where you can hike off trail. And usually it's a pretty friendly experience as opposed to the East Coast, where you're probably going through crazy thickets and underbrush. So biases are acknowledged, but uh, I really like the analogy. And I think that it's appropriate to education because we are all put on this path. It does work for some people, but others see a crowded path that's not taking them where they want to go. And so going off trail is a better option for them. It's difficult. It's scary. You have to prepare yourself. You have to be able to solve your own problems because you don't have a bunch of other people around to help you out. And you actually have to create your own goals and intentions. You have to know where you're going and keep your eyes to the, the ground and have a, a, have a plan instead of just mindlessly following everyone else. This can lead to stress and anxiety and feelings of, of being lost and, and actually being lost sometimes. Um, but in the end, uh, with preparation, dedication, perseverance, then I believe the off-trail experience in education can be way more fulfilling and meaningful and effective than just doing what everyone else is doing. So that's a little bit about why I use the term off-trail learning. And I commissioned a, an artist online to create a, a series of comic strips to illustrate this analogy, which you can find on the website. I also wanted to make this site something that's free for teenagers. Uh, this is important to me because right now I make my living running a few of these unschooled ventures programs for teenagers and college-aged young people. And that's really satisfying, but you know, travel by its nature is, is expensive, and so I'm charging what I need to charge to make these programs run. And it's a good amount of money, and so that means that only certain people can afford to do it. And through my, my books, I've been able to share ideas and thoughts and inspiration for, for very, you know, for the cost of a book or uh, for my two self-published books, Better Than College and The Art of Self-Directed Learning. I've given those away for free, um, the former as a PDF and the latter as an audiobook to people who sign up for my online mailing list. And so I've felt really good about kind of contributing information to the world that's free or cheap. But like I said before, when my desire, my 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 writing well dried up, that's when I needed to do something else. I really felt the push to do something else that is 100% free and accessible to all teenagers who might consider taking an alternative path, who might consider self-directed learning. Uh, this, of course, doesn't change the reality that you do need a certain level of resources, of privilege, of of supportive family to do something like unschooling. We can't just magically will ourselves into a situation that makes unschooling possible or makes skipping college possible. But 
it still is something that I want to to give away for free. That's another reason why this is a free site instead of something that's a, a paid experience, which I've definitely definitely thought up, but I've abandoned so many of those ideas over and over again. These paid courses or these paid membership sites, mostly because I do not pay for those things myself online, and I think that there's a large bias against paying for any sort of information online. If you had to pay money to listen to this podcast, there would probably be one out of 100 listeners instead of 100. And finally, the uh, funny thing about uh, – I can t- tell you about all of these intentions that I have and, and they probably sound good in in retrospect. But in the in the middle of having all these thoughts and intentions and desires, I've – have continually realized that I am just a a lazy person like everyone else is and that I can wake up and feel super inspired one moment and say, yes, this is something I'm going to do. Then I'll sit down in front of my computer and I will go on Facebook or I will, I will find the latest cat video. And that is what I will end up doing instead of doing the thing that I know in the end is going to make me feel good. And so I set a a goal for myself in June 2016 to to actually produce this website and this podcast that you're listening to, to stop just dreaming about it and actually do it. And so if you are a, a self-directed learner, an unschooler, an entrepreneur of, of any stripe, then you probably you probably feel where I'm coming from. Or just if you're a procrastinator of any sort, I'm sure you feel where I'm coming from. Um, and so it's just not a good feeling to, to keep putting something big off like this. So I decided to go a little bit extreme and I took this goal to finally publish this website and I took it to the website stick, S-T-I-C-K-K dot com, which some of you have heard of. It's one that I've used a number of times to stick to like a, a no sugar diet for a month to tango and to force myself to tango in Buenos Aires for 30 nights, uh, which I actually lost some money on that one. <laughs> and so I went really big uh, this time. And on the website stick, you you state your goal. It needs to be a, a numerical measurable goal. And so mine was, I'm going to publish a website by this certain date. And then you have to put down money on it. You have to give them your credit card information. So I gave them my credit card and I said, I'm going to put down $1,000 on this. And then they say, where do you want the money to go if you fail to meet your goal? And they give you options like a specific individual or a charity. They have a sort of generic blend of charities that they um, they donate to. They don't tell you which one because they don't want you to feel good about losing your bet. They want you to complete your bet, not not fail and be like, well, the money went to charity. And so you can't even write off the the donation on your charity. Or my favorite and what I've done many times is the anti-charity. And so this is a charity whose beliefs you do not share. And right now it's summer 2016. There's the U.S. presidential election coming up. And Donald Trump is the presumptive Republican nominee. And so I decided to... Uh, to give the money to the Republican super PAC, American Crossroads, if I failed. And, (laughs) you know, I'm not a Republican or a Democrat. And 
uh, I, I still just really don't like Donald Trump. And so I figured this would be a pretty good motivation for me to actually do this thing. Because as soon as you hit submit on, on stick.com, then it, it's, it's in there. It's locked in. And you choose a referee, a, a third party to, to judge whether you've actually done this thing. And so I chose my friend and a, a student also, Sydney, who has helped me out with a few other stick projects. And so she's going to be the one who confirms with the website that I, I actually did this thing. And if you're listening to this podcast, that means I did the thing. So that means I did not pay $1,000 to the American Crossroads Republican Superback. When I posted about this on Facebook, I got some interesting comments. Uh, one comment was from a, a homeschooling advocate, a nice woman who I met a number of years ago, who said that, who referenced an article that said that um, non monetary, non extrinsic goals uh, or, or consequences are, are actually better than, I'm sorry, negative consequences do not work as well as positive rewards. And uh, motivation and intrinsic motivation and extrinsic motivation, I think, is a fascinating subject that is connected to self-directed learning, to, to anyone who's trying to motivate themselves to do something instead of just letting somebody else motivate them. But in this case, I, I really disagreed with that because uh, if somebody else had forced this situation upon me, then perhaps yes. Like if this was a school situation and I was given some sort of arbitrary assignment and, and a negative consequence if I didn't complete the assignment, then yes, I, I get that. I probably wouldn't be into this very much. But I have chosen, I have voluntarily chosen, I have consented actively to uh, to this crazy proposal and I've put up my own money, I, and I need that thousand dollars. This is not just money I have to throw away here. And so, by actively giving myself an external uh, motivator, an, an extrinsic reward or punishment, I think that that extrinsic rewards are, are completely uh, fine and justified if you actively take them on yourself, if you give them to yourself. And so that's what I've been doing with stick and it, it's really motivational. I have to say it's <laughs> I really don't want to go online and say I just donated a thousand dollars to the the Donald Trump campaign effectively. Uh, so th this has been working for me. Like I have got the the fire under my feet. Uh, so that's why you're hearing this podcast because I don't want to give that money away. Oh man. One other note about this podcast. Uh, for just for those who are interested in, in podcasting and, and motivation, again, when I was doing the Real Education podcast, uh, I did 19 episodes of that. I originally modeled it after my all-time favorite podcast, which has been running since 2006, which is called Econ Talk. And it's by an econ uh, economics professor, Russ Roberts, from George Mason University, who interviews sometimes other economists, but just a, a lot of different people about uh, things related to social science, about things related to psychology, sometimes even diet or sports. So he's all over the place. And without fail, Russ Roberts has produced one hour-long Econ Talk episode every week since 2006. It's incredible. He is a machine. He often reads the entire book of the person that he is interviewing before the, the interview. I, I, I'm not sure how he does it. I'm in complete awe. Big fanboy here. 
And so that's what I modeled the podcast after. And I decided I would choose a specific length to shoot for, 45 minutes, and I would aim to publish it once a week without fail. And nobody told me to do this. I just kind of put this on myself. And this was actually an example of an extrinsic kind of structure that did not work out for me. I, I tried to give myself some structure and I just ended up feeling really stressed by it. And I eventually dropped the, the publishing schedule to once every two weeks. And then just feeling like I was obligated to this, this ongoing uh, project, I felt a little bit like, like Sisyphus just pushing the boulder up the hill and it rolls back down again the next week. And I, uh, that was one of the reasons that I decided to put the, the podcast on hiatus, uh, pra- other practical concerns aside. And so for this podcast, I am going in the other direction. I am not choosing a single uh, format that I have to stick to, like only interviews. I love doing interviews, but I'm going to try to do other content too. Some of just me talking, uh, some about me get kind of giving practical advice or tips or challenges. And well, we'll see. I'm not going to make any other promises here. Uh, also, the the length is going to be completely variable, and the publishing schedule is going to be completely variable too. I'm going to publish this when I can, uh, and I'm hoping that that will mean that in the long run, I will end up sh- publishing more content, creating more stuff that's useful th- instead of giving up because I feel stressed out by the the, the structure I've imposed upon myself. So this will be a, a, an interesting experiment in a regular podcast but hopefully a, a good podcast and one that gets better. So on the podcast, we've got lots of interesting guests coming up. I've got interviews with grown self-directed learners. I've got interviews with teenage unschoolers. I've got interviews with adult leaders of innovative educational programs. But for our first podcast, I'm going to bring you a very eloquent young adult, grown unschooler who is a recent college graduate, doesn't know what she wants to do with her life, met her at Not Back to School Camp long, long ago. Here is Serafina. My guest today is Serafina Mallon-Bryman, a 22-year-old grown unschooler and recent college graduate from Woodstock, New York. Serafina, welcome. Thank you. Hi, Blake. So the topic today is I just finished school and I have no idea what I'm doing or, or something to that effect. Is that a good encapsulation of your current state in life? Oh, it's a great encapsulation. <laughs> I don't know. It's not, it's, not, it's not so much what am I doing. It's more which direction do I want to go next in order to feel fulfilled and happy and like I'm making a difference. <laughs> great. Well, let's start with some context. So uh, I, I called you a grown unschooler, but your path was a little bit more complex than that. So uh, tell me where you came from. I was homeschooled and unschooled for the first 15 years of my life in Woodstock, New York, and in parts of New York City. And I grew up with an incredible homeschooling community where I'm from. Um, There's like five different massive unschooling networks. So social interaction was always really available and um, sort of thrown my way constantly. And you've already interviewed some of the people that I was actually homeschooled and unschooled near. Um, But that was an amazing group and way to grow up and sort of shaped my interaction with adults and 
other people my age in a very unique way. I'm really happy for it. But I also decided to jump into the public school system around 10th grade. I did four years of high school in three and graduated in 2012. And then I was sort of told to apply to college by my guidance counselor and all of my close friends at the time were doing so. And I hadn't spent the majority of my life prepping or thinking about college, so I didn't have a clear direction as to which school I wanted to attend or sort of take advantage of. But I did apply because that's what you're told to do when you're in your junior and senior year of high school in public education. That's right. That's what you do. Yep. And so I applied to about 10 schools, and I got into most of them, but I got almost a full scholarship to... Green Mountain College in Pulteney, Vermont. And I went to check it out with my mom, and it was very small, but also really lovely and felt right. And so I went, and I really enjoyed it, but it also was a little too small for my liking. So instead of leaving, I took advantage of the financial aid and traveled abroad every year that I was there. Um, So that was incredible. Um, I've had different experiences in different um, settings throughout parts of Europe, predominantly northern Italy and the Alps. Um, After that, I did work in Mexico and Arizona on the border and border studies in general. And... After that, I spent some time working with a cultural exchange program in the UN in Manhattan. And through that program, I found another incredible cultural exchange program in Israel and worked with Israeli and Palestinian teenagers in Tel Aviv and parts along the Mediterranean there. And my final year, this past senior year, I spent a month doing anthropology work in Nepal. And have been really, really, really lucky to have all of these experiences sort of financially um, vetted by just funds that I could come up with by working intermittently um, and not having a lot of debt to sort of feel totally overwhelmed by. I still have a fair amount of debt, but unbelievably manageable. And I guess now at this point, I just graduated. Um, I loved college. I, I'm definitely probably not even absorbing the fact that I'm gone yet, <laughs> but I'm trying to figure out what's next because I got a job this summer um, and I spent time working as a cook on a tall ship, a schooner boat in Maine, and it didn't work out. I loved the experience for being on the, on the sea and cooking and sort of being creative in that sense. But I just, the management didn't work and I didn't feel a sense of respect on either end. And so I'm not there anymore, but I'm trying to figure out what is next considering that job is now sort of cut short by a few months. And this process of trying to figure out where I want to be next and what work I want to be doing is now thrust toward me much faster than I thought it would be. <laughs> um, and yeah, that's where I'm at. 
So you had this seemingly ideal college experience, and you got to travel in Israel, Mexico, Italy, Nepal, Manhattan. Um, and I'm aware that that you also held some cool positions of responsibility while you were there in the student senate, correct? <laughs> yes. Um, and, and you gave the graduation speech also? I did, yeah. It was <laughs> it was um, really, really overwhelming to stand in front of 6,000 people and <laughs> say goodbye, for sure. Um, a lot of people enjoyed it, so that's good. I'm glad about that. <laughs> so uh, to put it in a nutshell, you kind of kicked ass in college, Serafina. And Thanks, Blake. <laughs> it's what I'm, that's the message I'm getting here. And so you had this really ideal experience, and um, and I imagine that that at the end of this rainbow, at the end of this this great college experience, you you thought that you would have a clear sense of direction, or or at least a good path. Like, is that true? That is true. <laughs> oh, so true. Yes. <laughs> and then you got this the job on the ship, and it was supposed to be for for like six months, but then it's it didn't work out, and so now all of a sudden it's the summer after you graduated, and you thought you'd have a plan, but you've been thrust into this state of of chaos and uncertainty. And uh, I'm assuming you're living at home. I am currently living um, with my partner in Camden, Maine. Got it. Okay. Yep. Wow. Okay. So. So what have you already considered? And and yeah, let's let's begin there, Serafina. What have I considered? Um, well, I have definitely considered the fact that starting in roughly October, November, I'll have to start paying back student loans. <laughs> I've considered mm-hmm. that. Um, I've considered the fact that now that I have this degree, it seems sort of silly to jump into something that wouldn't really fulfill following the path that that career began me journeying into. So, Sorry, uh, what did you get a degree in? I got a degree in sociology and anthropology. Um, and so I'm very interested in human behavior and cultures and everything sort of that has to do with all ends of it. I spent a lot of time in the performing arts growing up and... Mm-hmm a dream would be to incorporate cultural exchange work with performing arts to sort of bring more understandings of one another's homes and countries and experiences and languages um, to fruition in less of a political debate sort of professional speech way. I think it's much more empowering to understand someone else through just a more lively platform than being given a speech. And generally that has to do with dance or acting or song. Uh Uh Got it. And were you saying that you feel like you, you should use your college background? Like you, you should apply what you studied. You you feel that, that need. Yeah. It, it seems, (laughs) I don't know. I mean, it seems kind of important um, to, to have studied something for, a handful of years and to have spent a sum of both money and time doing so to then come out of that and think, well, maybe I'll, I don't know, maybe I'll find a great waitressing job and 
sort of forget about it. And I don't, I don't know, I don't know how I feel about that because I've done a lot of catering and waitressing and now cooking. And it's interesting in the fact that you're making fast money and you don't really need to commit a lot to that experience aside from showing up and giving your all and then you get to go home. Um, and that's, that's enticing for sure. But it also seems like I would be maybe wasting my time at this point to, I don't know, to try and figure out something that is more scary and more scary just meaning out of my comfort zone and on the path of something that I've been studying and putting my energy into. Hmm. But I don't know that's, what where that would take me right now. I just, I'm not sure. Yeah, that's an, an interesting thought because I've definitely seen people go both directions after college. Uh, some people are like, I've been focusing on, on this one field and so I've got this momentum mm-hmm. and I should preserve this and, and keep pushing forward in this field while I'm still fresh. And, and that has a lot of intuitive reasoning to me. But I've also seen lots of people who said, I've been studying this thing for four years or five years. I need a break from it. I need to step away from it so I can, I can especially you know, those who have been on this kind of college prep conveyor belt ever since they were young. And they kind of got thrust into college and they had to choose a major. And so they chose it. And then finally, at, at the end of the, the graduation process, where they've, they've jumped through all of the hoops, they've you know, checked off all of the, the societal expectation boxes, and they have this degree, that's the first time in their life they've had to actually step back and reflect and say, is this what I want to be doing? You know, for example, I, I got a degree in finance. Should I jump directly into the finance world or do... You know, should I do something completely different? Like you said, you know, like waitress. Uh, should I go travel somewhere without a specific plan? And I've seen that benefit a lot of people too, to, be, to do something completely different. And, and I think the key thing, like you said, is outside of your comfort zone, something that is not safe and familiar, which, which for many people, what they've been studying in college is the, the safe and familiar route. And, and I wonder if down the road, if people did not try something that was radically different from their studies, um, if they, they regret not having that period of, of exploration. Um, but you also have a different background, Serafina, in that you, you know, being raised as an unschooler and uh, I, I'm assuming going into college, it sounds like you, you did feel some of that, that college prep can vary about pressure when you were <laughs> in high school. But I, I also get the sense that, you chose your major pretty intentionally and that you got all these cool travel experiences. Like you, you really did, did college intelligently, it sounds like. And so maybe, you know, you don't need that break uh, because you, you are actually, you know, seriously in love with sociology and anthropology. And uh, I, don't, I don't know, where do you feel like you, you land on that divide? Um, that's a great question. I think that in terms of needing a break, I think I need a little bit of a of an academic break in the sense of taking tests and being in a formal classroom. Um, I, that's sort of my intention and in not immediately applying to grad school because that's another step on the conveyor belt, sort of. And I think a lot of people feel really grounded and ready to just jump into that because either, as you've just said, they've had that time to take a pause or 
sit and evaluate where they want to be going next before 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 now and they feel that academically that's the best time for them to be jumping into it which is great and I I think that's wonderful for those people and I see myself within grad school probably within the next two or three years but I think that especially for anthropology and sociology so much of so much of your education and your your academia is springing from fieldwork and intense experiences. And I think that really no matter where you are, you can fulfill that sort of ethnographic research um, by journaling and by engaging with your environment and the people where you are in an authentic way no matter what. So if mm. you if you are waitressing in Camden, Maine, or anywhere, and you are actively taking notice of sort of details and your experience and the ways that everyone are relating to each other and the happiness levels or the backgrounds and of why people are gathered and where they are, just that communal intention is sociology. It is that study of those behaviors and those interaction rituals. And I don't think you need to be pursuing something in a professional job with to do that. I think you can be doing that and also be taking a break or not in an academic setting. And that's, I mean, that's what I've been doing. I just, I filled up an entire journal and a half already from the two and a half month experience that I had on this boat of just constantly just checking in with myself as to what was going on and what the people around me were doing and why people were there and why people would be getting on a boat like we were offering for a specific trip and what kind of crowd we were attracting and the dynamics between the management versus the employee within all aspects of just this experience and I learned a lot from that I really did um I'm not sure I think right now what official occupation or job description that falls into in where I'd be going next and that's where it becomes tricky is how do you bring that financial component in and I think that is sort of also another part of what's driving me is that I the idea of just going off and traveling and getting those new experiences seems exciting, but it also doesn't seem like, it seems like the whole time I would be there, I'd have this borderline sense of stress that I was spending money and I wasn't making money mm -hmm. while I was having mm -hmm. these experiences. Mm -hmm. And I think that knowing that I have this oncoming debt from student loans would make it very difficult to fully place myself in any of those places that I would travel to knowing that. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, and just going back to, to talking about getting this socio sociological or anthropological anthropological <laughs> <laughs> experience uh, without being in grad school, you reminded me of something that my favorite author and inspiration, John Taylor Gatto, <laughs> of, often wrote, which is that um, help kids learn how to look at the world as an anthropologist, to do just what you were describing. If you have a waitressing job, to not just go through the, the rote motions like a machine, but to, to pay attention to 
your interactions with people, to the type of people coming in, to like you said, who's happy and who's not. Uh, you know, the couple who's sitting sitting there quietly looking off in different directions. Is that a happy married couple or is that an unhappy married couple? And to just that have have that sense of curiosity and, and wonder and analysis uh, around the world. Um, I completely agree with you that, and I don't think this even applies to just to people like you who are who have formally studied sociology and anthropology. No, I, I think it's it's a sense of curiosity and and wonder that is is more of a hallmark of of self directed learning and and, and unschoolers, um, just not accepting the world at face value, but wondering you know what else is is out there. So, anyways, I I, I love that comment, and I think that. For you to to go through some of these real world experiences, and especially not glamorous real world experiences like just waitressing, potentially. I'm not sure what kind of restaurant you're waitressing in, but I'm <laughs> assuming it's not like the the three Michelin star local French restaurant. Um, uh, yeah, having that primary experience base to actually form your own questions and, and observations before going back into graduate school, I feel like is so valuable. And that it's it's so easy to to jump straight into graduate school because that is the next safe prescribed route al- along the conventional path. And, and and for some people it does make sense to go directly into graduate school. Yeah, it really for does. sure. It it does. But I think for so many more people, uh, it makes sense to get a heavy amount of primary experience. So you actually can can go into grad school and say like yes I'm here because I was out in the world and I noticed this I observed this I got really interested in this and I decided that I wasn't able to to fully exp- you know indulge these interests in um, in a non academic setting I want to come back and have the resources that that academia provides because um, otherwise you just go back into grad school and you're like okay I'm here and it. <laughs> It's just like the last 16 years of your life. You are you're just kind of searching for for what you you should be doing in order to ostensibly become like a college professor because that that's what's at the end of the rainbow with with grad school for most people. Um, so, uh, anyways, I think you're going I think you're going down the right path. But l- l- let's keep exploring here, Serafina. <laughs> yeah, um, sounds good. Um, so, the, the cash flow thing is. Is the a big cash concern. flow thing, yes. The cash flow thing. It's like we want to be responsible adults and pay our own way, and and you know have that satisfaction of of working to earn money. There's something that is, I think, has a, a basic sense of satisfaction um, around doing something and getting paid for it. But at the same time, how do you go explore if you're like you know dog tired after working an eight-hour waitressing shift mm-hmm. and how do you maintain that sense of, of curiosity and being a self-directed learner and at, tell me about that that equation for you um that equation sort of <clears throat> comes down to the fact that i mean with what you're saying it is yeah it is gratifying to make your own money but it's also like in certain cases and in my case at least definitely really like it's just a mandatory thing. Like I need to, I need to be making the money that I need to survive on. And I definitely, um, I feel a lot of sort of pressure to be doing that while also be living in a way that is true to myself. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but I, if I'm supporting myself, which I need to be, and I am, then I 
think I would wind up making myself uh, very unhappy and also probably would start to doubt my own abilities and capabilities in the sense that having this bubble of, of undergraduate away from home learning helped generate because while you are <laughs> sort of creating this cycle of your, yeah, you'll, you, you'll need to be generating money to feed back to the system soon and at some point, you're also able to just be there learning and not necessarily paying the income in which you need to be there up front. Therefore, anything that you're interested in, any club or any political path or any part of the, the food system or educational just experience that you want, you can take advantage of and you can be pushing yourself to experience all of these different things all day long. So you can be in class and then you can get out and you can start this academic club or you can generate a group of people to get together and discuss something you're really passionate about. And you can be doing that all day in the sense that you don't have to be coming back from a long waitressing job and then start your, mm -hmm. your passion. Um, and granted, like you'll be working while you're there, but the job I had for work study while I was there was another job that just really inspired passion within me. Um, I worked for the college's communications department and worked with a small group of people to sort of creatively figure out ways we could promote the school. And I was passionate about being there, and so that felt like authentic work because I was actually inspired to be creating the platforms for which other students would come and have this similar experience with me. Um, so I, I would run their Instagram page, and I would make videos to sort of either mock or compliment the, the college and draw students in that way. Um, and I'd write blogs and sort of do photogra photographic work. Um, but I think right now what is giving me so much anxiety is that how do I, how do I make that paycheck that I need to be making while also not letting myself fall into a path of, oh, I can't be given a paycheck for work that makes me really happy. You know, like, how do I, how do I keep pursuing things that make or that bring me joy and that help me bring other people joy while also just making ends meet in that sense? I don't know. Yeah, that's the question of meaningful work, of you know, doing something that you feel connected to, something that feels important, something that engages you, that also happens to put food on the table and pay the rent and your cell phone bill. Yeah, and I and think um, I, I, the reason I contacted you a little while ago is because I am interested in the work that you've been doing with unschoolers and homeschoolers. It's definitely, it's a part of my life that I sometimes forget happened. <laughs> um just in the sense that it's not what I'm thinking about every day and it's not, I don't know, constantly in my brain, but it's half of, more than half of my life was spent alternatively 
learning and connecting with people and educating myself. And I would love to sort of jump back into programs or experiences that help me work with those young minds and people again. Um, and with, with people who are also on uh, boards or like program facilitators to do the same. I think that would be really inspiring to sort of reconnect with people who are not necessarily thrust into a system where they feel like they have to choose the paycheck that makes them unhappy. Um, and I, yeah, I'm not sure where to do that. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm looking at my notes here and looking back at how you mentioned your interest in connecting the performing arts, which you had a really rich experience with when you were growing up <laughs> with your more recent academic interests of sociology and anthropology. And I was asking myself, I wonder how she could connect those. And because it sounds like that that might be at this point your your best bet. If you had to put money on this, that'd be your your best bet for creating really meaningful, satisfying work for yourself. Is that accurate? I would say so, yes. Yeah. Okay. So the the language that I use in my own head whenever I'm I'm thinking about a new project or a new potential uh, line of work, or if I'm running non-school ventures programs, a, a whole new program to try to offer is, is what is the, the, the smallest, quickest, and cheapest experiment that I can set up to test this idea? <laughs> um, and so, you know, kind of drawing from the, the Silicon Valley entrepreneurship realm of, of rapid iteration, uh, try some, you know, create your minimum viable idea, your minimum viable product, put it out there in the world, get some actual feedback from people, and then see if that's, you know, see if, if you want to keep doing it, first of all, if you even still have the motivation, or see if there's even a market for this kind of thing out there. Because maybe I'm living in my dreamland and I'm creating like Blake's incredible adventure to Bhutan where we, you know, we sneak in on the underbellies of sheep. <laughs> and we we then uh, you know create entirely new identities for ourselves, and then, and it's a three year long trip, and it, and it costs a hundred thousand um, dollars. I I could build that up in my head for for a long long time, and then have it all come crashing down when I discover nobody's interested in my crazy idea. In the same way that you might build up the this idea of somehow connecting the performing arts and with anthropology, and just let it stew in your head. Um, but if you never put it out there into the world and actually try it in some small way and get feedback on it, then, then maybe that's just a lot of kind of spinning our wheels unnecessarily in our head. And so, um, yeah, just uh, how might you, you do that, Seraphine? Have, have you considered like how you could connect these things? Like who's already doing it? Have you, have you done your Googling research? Have you connected with people who are like the inspirational leaders uh, somehow in this field? Um, or, or is that something that's farther in the future for you? You don't feel like you're ready for that right now? Mm, I don't think that... I think that if I wasn't ready for that right now, I don't know when I would be ready for that. Um, I think that's how I feel. But also, yeah, no, I haven't. I haven't connected with people outside of the fields that I've already sort of grown, grown up doing things actively with. I grew up dancing and performing in a, 
in a world dance company called the Vanover Caravan. And they're placed out of upstate New York, um, but they have traveled internationally and do a lot of stuff in the city a lot. And um, that's a, a company and organization that I just really, really love and have a lot of respect for, but also would want to sort of seek outside of. Um, the, the funny thing is that I'm not sure if there's necessarily a specific title for exactly what I want to be doing in that field because I've done little parts all around it. Like I've done the performing mm. and I've done the, the organizing and I have also worked on a more political side with being the artistic director for cultural exchange programs that are aiming to do similar. And mm. I've done MC work and sort of generating culture nights of all these different people and and groups of performers sort of showing what their what their background is and where they're coming from through performance. And I love I love a lot of it. Um and I I'm not sure yeah, I'm not sure exactly which place that would take me or with what organization. Um it's funny, I rem- <laughs> Uh, a few, I think it must have been a few weeks ago now at this point, but the question that I'd asked you was, do you have any suggestions on literally anywhere, an amazing experience, living or work-wise, you, you would suggest <laughs> looking into? That's right. I got that Facebook message and I was like, man, that's a broad question. Yeah, you were like, anything, anywhere? And I said, yes. And you said, when and for what length of time? And I said, literally have no direction right now. And your response <laughs> was just, whoa, maybe we should talk about that. <laughs> and yeah, and I, th- I think that was intriguing to me because I guess what I'm interested in right now is that while I think any immediate experience that I could be looking into could be on the same path for following that that long-term goal, I think I'm looking for something that's more short-term and more just something totally, totally different and new in a absolutely different location than somewhere I've been. And that would also generate money sort of in the next month. Mm. And I, yeah, I'm not sure how to immediately start researching that. Yeah. Well, I think we're getting some clarity here, Serafina, because what I'm hearing is you do want to do something totally different and out there and new and foreign. Um, It it does need to bring in some cash because you do have to pay some bills. Um, But I, I love the phrase that you used when describing this potential overlap of performing arts and, and your academic interests, which is there is no title for what I want to do. And I felt that 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 exact same uh, internal monologue many times in my own life. And, and I think that's the situation where it really pays to have a background as a self-directed learner. Like I, I have complete confidence in, in the fact that you're going to kick ass in the next three years, and b- because of this this background that you have, and um, it, it also reminds me of of Seth Godin, the, the semi famous author and blogger and marketer, who really emphasizes um, not asking for permission, and he has a critique of the school system that is that is centered around the how we are trained to to wait and to ask for permission for the things that we want to do. And he says what you need to learn is to to stop waiting to ask for permission. And in this case, 
uh, like, for example, I think a lot of people, they might have similar kind of interests to you in the sense of like they, they have some academic interests and they want to mix that with maybe some of their, their childhood experiences that were meaningful to them. But what they do is they go out and they look, they do job searches looking for jobs that already exist. And they're looking for a job title that says, um, you know, cultural exchange, performing arts internship yeah. with uh, anthro- anthropo- anthropological focus. And and that just doesn't exist. Or if it does, you know, it's going to be incredibly competitive because <laughs> it's so cool. And so they're waiting for this permission that like somebody has already created this title. That is the permission that's been given to them and, and they have to apply to it in the same way that they've always worked through institutions like high school or college. And what Seth Godin emphasizes, which is right along the lines of a lot of the, the self-directed learning literature, the entrepreneurship literature, is you just you just have to go out and, and do it yourself and not wait for anyone to create the job for you, not wait for anyone to, to give you this permission. Uh, anyways, that just really <laughs> struck a chord with me. I, I'm, I'm tangent, going on a little tangent here. Um, but coming back to what you're saying about, you know, how do you look for this 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 job, this position, this thing that's that's totally different in the, in the way that you asked me that original question. You're like, I just want to do something that's that's really cool, and and I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about, Serafina. You know, <laughs> how how do you even begin that search? What <laughs> website do you go to? Um, what do you type into Google? What do you type into Google? That that is the fundamental question. And right I think there. that another another title sort of that encompasses all of those interests and things that you could be pursuing, at least under the, the guidelines that I just sort of gave, were, would be community development. And, mm. and that, I think, is, a, is an exciting realm of work, but it's also something that is, I think, consistently being twisted into just roles of, of pursuit that I don't, I don't love, that I don't know. I feel like the the phrase community development is immediately sort of paired with experiences like Peace Corps or AmeriCorps where you're given this ability to come into a community you know nothing about and help them. Um, And whereas I think parts of, of that can be super rewarding for both parties, it just, it seems really funny to to walk into someone's sort of home experience and say, Oh, this is, this is not, this is, this is wrong. This isn't, you need help here, or you could be doing better in in this department. And I'm going to, I'm going to implement that with an entire group of people who are also trying to help you. And sometimes, obviously I'm not, I'm not an idiot, but I, I understand that there's there's help that's needed in that in that sense, and what a mm-hmm. great way to give back to some part of the world that you could take the time to just learn about and do. And I think that's incredible, but it just feels funny to me. And I maybe it's just not it's just not meant for what I'm supposed to be doing. And I've looked into it, but I, I'm very interested in more of a new way of looking at community development. Mm-hmm. And going into communities that are not so far um, on the outskirts of your own life, and trying to rearrange what is wrong and implement new strategies there, but instead mm-hmm. going into I don't know, just totally new environments that you're maybe connected to. 
So I feel like you're in this situation where you, you have a, a good amount of domain knowledge, like you're able to identify community development as a, you know, that's what you could Google, for example. But you also have enough knowledge of what's out there to know that that's not, you know, those, those first few pages of Google results are probably not what you want to be doing right now. Like if, if Peace Corps was the answer, you've probably heard about the Peace Corps years ago and you would have been applying already. But um, I think... You know, this is again. There's no title for for what you want to do. Uh, there's there are approximations, but those are not good enough. And you have to go with that gut feeling that this thing that already exists, it it's part of the way there, but it's not all the way there. So I'm not going to settle for it. I, I think that's important. Um, that's how I felt when right after college I started working in outdoor education in California because I just wanted to do summer camp year round. Like that was my, my number one priority. And the closest <laughs> way to do that is to go work spring and fall seasons at outdoor education centers where you take groups of fifth graders on hikes and outdoor education. Them, yeah. Yeah. You teach them some natural science, you do some ropes courses and it's a very camp type environment. Um, but there's after, actually, there's a major at my school called outdoor education and uh, adventure recreation you might have you might have been interested <laughs> that's how you know you ha- you're going to a hippie college you've got <laughs> so, yes, an, an outdoor ed and, and rec major right there mm-hmm. um so but but i knew after just a season of of doing that that there was something off that there was only part of the equation there and i and i saw other people who were had spent more time in outdoor education who were in their their third, fourth, fifth, sixth year of doing it. And, and a lot of them were not that happy. I feel like that's, that's such a basic, important metric for making a career move decision, which is the people who are doing the kind of work I'm interested in doing, are they happy? And, and of course, it's hard to separate personal issues with happiness from you know, c- career-wide ones. But as a general metric, I think that's, that's pretty foolproof. And... Uh, so, you're you're looking for the language to describe the the kind of opportunities that that you're going for because the current language you have is imperfect. Um, here's a question for you, Serafina: Have you um, spent any time off of Google and going and finding specific individuals who are doing who are currently working? in in jobs and positions in the field that that you find really interesting, like not specifically the the job that you want to do necessarily but you know people who you just find so fascinating like for me John Taylor Gatto as a as a former school teacher I just found completely fascinating and I and I just wanted to suck everything out of his brain that's that's all I wanted to do with John Taylor Gatto um, have you found any of those people in your life anyone that who you can you can pick their brain who you can take them out for coffee who you can say like hey let's talk about the term community development and and you know kind of explain the nuances to me from your perspective yeah, um, that's a great question. Sorry, um, my old dance teacher, who actually spearheaded the organization that I was talking about, Livia Vanover, is an incredible woman and just community developer and organizer in her own right. Um, she's done a lot of work with with Woody Guthrie and with Pete Seeger and. Just Hudson Hudson River revival work to pair with that with just dance and empowering messages of storytelling and cultural, historical, everything that I find to be 
super just very inspiring and she's someone who about a year and a half ago I I sat down with and caught up and had coffee with and she she was saying well come come work with us again like come come do work with um with schools and come in and and um sort of help us teach and while I loved sitting down and talking with her I don't think that's a something that would immediately bring me um, a lot of joy, but it was also a great starting off place to talk about something like that. I, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. finding those people are, is just, it's great. I think to sort of, when you are unsure in the sense like this, to start verbalizing what you're unsure about and what you are sure about and doing that with either young adults or adults that you are fascinated by or mm-hmm. are doing work that is in the ballpark that you hope to find yourself in. Yeah, I mean, it's an incredible thing for sure. I think it'd be really interesting to maybe start, <laughs> I know you said off Google, but to start Googling um, pe- people like this guy that you were talking about, Seth Godin, or other um, similar similar just personas and seeing what literature they've written or like John Taylor Gatto or maybe just contacting them in general and saying, Hey, this is my background. This is what I'm interested in. What do you suggest? (laughs) Yeah. I want to, I want to not actually suggest that. I want to get off that, that, (laughs) that, that line of suggestion because yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you why. Because I feel like one path that I've seen people go down in, in the post-college realm is to to get really into reading all these lifestyle gurus, their blogs and their books. And, and Seth Godin is one of them, for for example. And it's like you end up on these like life hacker articles, you know, figuring out ways to hack your career. And, and then you take a step back and you're like, oh, my God, what am I reading? This is completely general. Uh, so maybe I'm just talking about my own experience, Seraphine. I will not lay this on you. Uh, anyways, I, um, yeah, a little bit of exploratory reading for sure. But I want to push back on the idea of, of getting off Google. And I think that Google is I'm just the biggest fan of Google. I have the, the sticker on my water bottle that says, let me Google that for you. You know, I say, please don't ask me a question that you can Google yourself. So while I'm a fan of that, I feel like it's also it's a modern crutch. And it, it can feed into this notion that is developed in school and college that there is this world of static information out there. That's how I remember thinking, conceiving of, of academia when I was a, uh, an early college student. It's just there's this canon of knowledge out there and your job is to go and find the right place to consume that knowledge. Or there's, a, there's this career field out there and it's, people are always doing the same thing in the career field and you just need to find the right entry point. And it took me years later to discover that academia, academic knowledge is not static. It is dynamic. It is constantly being created and destroyed and, and rehashed and, and people, you know, it's an ongoing conversation in the same way that, that careers are, that, uh, you know, unless you're in, I'm not even sure what I could call like a highly static career right now, unless you're like, you're a blacksmith, you're working with, with really age old knowledge and there's not some some frontier of, of innovation happening in this field, then uh, – so you, you're, you're probably not in one of those fields. You're probably in a field that is actually dynamically changing. And, and I think 
you that the most valuable thing you can do as a recent college graduate looking for for the right place to jump in, the right work uh, to commit yourself to for a while, is is to go have those conversations with the people who are doing the work that you want to do, uh, kind of like that that woman in the Hudson Valley who you mentioned. But then, not just you know look for the people who you can emulate. You ask those people this question. You say, "Who is doing the most interesting work in this field right now?" and and that is a valuable question because that is not something you can Google easily. It's not something you're going to learn in class. It's something that is, will change from month to month or even week to week. And, and to go and find the people who are working at the really cutting edge, and it doesn't have to be super nouveau, innovative, right? You know, somebody doing some you know, abstract art project that, that confuses everyone. Um, it just means who, who is doing... Uh, the most fascinating work where, where there is the most potential uh, for a young person to get involved and have a lot of opportunities really quickly. Uh, I just love that that question. And, and like when I ask it, uh, when, excuse me, when somebody asked me that uh, question regarding the realm of alternative education, for example, I talk about the, the North Star model schools. The North Star uh, started out in, in Western Massachusetts, but just in the past five years, they have been expanding through this network called Liberated Learners, and they're, they're helping people all across the U.S. It's mostly the East Coast U.S. right now start these learning centers, which are sometimes they're just for teenagers, sometimes they're f- for all ages, but they're just my favorite model of of a self-directed learning center that's that's open and accessible, and it's you can come for just one day or you can come for four days a week, and so it's uh, it's flexible in that sense. It's like the the type of center that every medium to large size city should have to support uh, young people who are not going to school. And because I've been part of this this world, this alternative education world, like I am, I'm familiar with the fact that the founders of, of North Star have been rapidly expanding just, just recently. Like it's a great time to get involved with that field. And so that's where I would point someone if they said, Hey, how can I get involved with like an alternative school? I'd be like, well, go check out North Star. Um, so, okay. I'm going to get off my soapbox now, Serafina. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how, how does that strike you? Have you been asking any similar questions to people re- regarding your interests? Asking them who they think that the most interesting person in this field is and what they're doing. Yeah, and, and, and just or even just the most interesting work that's happening in the field. So so you maybe remove the cult of personality that comes around specific individuals. Yeah, no, I haven't asked I haven't asked anyone that question at the moment. Okay, well I highly recommend it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I will, for sure. <laughs> that's fun. Um, I want to hear a little bit more from you. Like right now, as of today, what are, you know, it's the middle of the summer. Uh, what are you considering? What, what are you considering doing? Like your, your next practical steps? Well, my next practical steps um, at the moment, I am, I am sort of reapplying to different, to different boats um, because I, I want to have a better, experience on a ship and I want to work on a smaller boat with a really respectful environment and food that I am more excited about consciously creating than sort of just implementing the menu that I was given. Um, So I I would like to have that experience and that simultaneously would bring some funding for the next, the next step and 
path of what I am interested in doing. Um, while I'm doing that, I'm also um, I'm sort of interested in seeing what is available in the Portland scene right now in in Maine. Um, I have a lot of friends in the food industry in Portland who sort of would offer me different jobs, um, which is really great. I would love to work for a brewery. Uh, Maine Beer Company is a really incredible, incredible organization right out of Freeport, outside of Portland. And um, just they have extremely consciously brewed beverages. And I just, at my last semester of college, I took a fermented... Uh, beverages class on different that, this is such a hippie college I, I just have to interject <laughs> a fermented beverages class please yeah. continue a fermented beverages class where we studied beers and wines and different kombuchas and sort of ciders and ales that were local to Vermont which is filled with microbreweries and um, just sort of local farms and orchards and wineries that we got the chance to visit every week and also brew on our own. Our college um, has an incredible agriculture program. So we have our own farm and a lot of different food intensives. And we got to make our own brews. I, I made a maple mead that I didn't actually like, but we used all Vermont, all uh, natural Vermont <laughs> uh, maple syrup. That was fun. But I'd like to learn a little bit more about that that industry um and could be a fun intermediate job for sure uh a friend of mine is a head chef in manhattan and is about to open up a new restaurant on the upper east side and said he would hire me as a cook if i wanted to um but i don't know i don't know if i want to pursue the professional chef industry either so i i'm not sure (laughs) there's a lot well (laughs) Serafina, it sounds to me like if we look at what you're actually doing, you you are so incredibly interested in food, and it sounds like you have some pre-existing skill there. It sounds like you have you are, have a good network. You're well connected to people and opportunities, and that there is some overlap. It's not just a mechanical thing for you. You are interested in the in the uh, the, the conscious or responsible production of food about considering the the whole cycle where food comes from, where it goes. And so this isn't, when it, just when I hear you talking about it, it sounds like if this is something that you are so into right now and so well connected in, then, then maybe this is the time to do it. Cause, cause it is different from what you've been from doing it in college while, while still retaining a, a little bit of, of overlap there. And, and why not? Well, if you have, if, if you're going to get hired at this Upper East Side Manhattan restaurant, um, do you f- do you feel like you might get sucked into this world, and then you're going to wake up one day and you'll be 30, and and you'll be like, oh, I've just been working in the food service industry, and I've forgotten about all of, of these bigger, grander dreams that I had. Is that a concern for you? Yeah, it's a huge concern. I think I feel like right now, if I were to apply and sign on for a job that I didn't feel like I could leave after a few months. I would be come totally absorbed in it in the sense that if you're if you're totally um, thrusting yourself into any new environment or new occupation and are doing it with intention, you would get absorbed in that sense. And I don't know if I want to become 
just a full-time cook or chef um, because it's not my, my ultimate passion, even though I am, I do love food and I love creating it and talking about it and sort of sharing it. But yeah, so I, you definitely, you hit on a, on a worry there for sure. Do you feel confident when you say it's not my ultimate passion? Like how confident do you feel that you actually know what your, your passion is? <laughs> what my ultimate passion is? That, that's a very heady phrase right there. Ultimate passion. True. What is your ultimate passion? Maybe that should be the, the name of this podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> ultimate passion podcast. Oh, wow. Um, that's another problem is that I have a lot of ultimate passions and it's just this constant sort of attempt to figure out which trumps the other one i just there's a lot yeah. for sure i'm really interested in uh social media marketing to be honest be that's cool you can work from anywhere doing that i know i know i'm actually looking into other programs for marketing too and working uh and just whatever, wherever i am doing it online but who's to say who's to say blake well <laughs> This is why I'm going to come back to that idea of, of little experiments, just the, the minimum amount of investment you need to try out an idea. Because I, I feel like when you said I have so many different passions, I feel like that is such a common um, stumbling block for people. And, and we somehow get this idea that after we have gone, after we finished college, for example, that we should have our one passion figured out and that's what we work on. And and how many people actually fall into that category? Like uh, 5% maybe, if 10%, one out of 10. I, I, I don't know many personally. Um, I, I feel like I'm, I'm an exception to that rule. I, I did have a clear passion that I, I followed kind of straight out of the gates. But like you, I was also interested in food and I had a few little jobs uh, in in San Diego, and I worked in a. I was I was a vegetarian. I was a vegetarian for ten years. And in the middle of this, I worked at a a sausage restaurant in in San Diego, and <laughs> uh, that lasted for like two weeks. I, I quit a pretty quickly. A sausage sausage restaurant. Yes, oh. I, I did not eat the product, <laughs> and they smelled delicious though. I'd eat them today, <laughs> and. I feel like something that ben that I felt very uncomfortable with in that period of my life, but I think ultimately benefited me was I just I quit jobs without a second thought. I just left, and I I did it in a fairly irresponsible way, like no no two week notice, sometimes not even a twenty four hour notice. Just like I'm done, I'm out of here. You know, sent, leave a voicemail. I, once I I quit an outdoor a job by handwriting a a very short letter on a piece of paper that said, I quit, I'm sorry. And I put it under a rock on oh the program God. director's front step of, of his house. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. And so that's, uh, that's an extreme version of it. Like I definitely burnt some bridges. I definitely did not get references from a lot of different jobs. And this was just for the, my first two years after, after finishing college. I actually quit almost every job that I had in those two years. Um, but I, I feel like I, something I did well was I did not waste a single moment in a job that did not feel right. like a, a good fit for me. Like that sausage restaurant, I gave it exactly enough time to know like, mm, this is not a good bet for me. You know, you'll never be 100% sure. Maybe if I stayed on another month, then everything would have changed. But, uh, you know, I'd rather quit the job that I feel 60% sure that, that I need to quit than, than waste a couple more months there. And so um, 
that that was that was my approach, Serafina. That that was my version of the little experiment. You know, like how little time can I spend in this job to know that it's not a right fit for me, and then I can cross it off my mental list as a possibility, and and be done with it and move on to the next thing. Yeah. And without without Dored, I quit enough of those jobs that I saw this pattern in myself, and I said, I need to be doing something else. Otherwise, either I'm just going to take this job, I'm going to suck it up because. I have this practical need for for money, and I'm going to become like one of these unhappy older people in mm-hmm. after ed. Or I got to figure something else out. It was like a total con- constant reinvention period for many many years uh, before I felt I found a more sustainable path for myself. There's this word u stress e u s t r e s s, which means positive stress. Um, it's kind of like having a deadline for a project that's really important to you. It's like yes, it's stressful, but it's it's overall it's it's a beneficial thing for you. Not all stress is bad. Yeah, I, I feel like that's something that that people in your situation should feel because otherwise, if you don't have that feeling of like oh, I'm not really doing what I feel like I should be doing right now, like this job is not a good fit for me, doesn't feel that meaningful. I feel like if you don't have those concerns about yourself, uh, first of all, you're probably deluding yourself if if you think you think your job is perfect. You're, you're probably wrong, and and second of all, uh, not having that is, I think, what leads to people waking up at age 30 and being like, oh, I've been in food service for for eight straight years, and I've been doing it because it's convenient, and I have some, some nice friends who I work with, mm-hmm. but I've done nothing that feels meaningful or, or impactful, assuming that you're not you know, actually doing cool, meaningful stuff in your food food industry work. And totally passionate about it, yeah, which is also so possible. I'm not knocking that out yeah. at all. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. For sure. So, uh, maybe a little, maybe a little experiment in the food realm is is in order for you. Like again, if it's if it's convenient for you, if you've got these friends handing you these opportunities, if you you see yourself already applying to these tall ship jobs as as a cook, then maybe that's the direction to go at, at this moment. And and if you need to give yourself a specific cutoff date, like for example, I'm going to work for three months and then I'm going to quit, and you you commit to that, you know, mentally, you tell some friends, like, if I'm still in this job three months later, kick my butt, you know, you know, pull the plug on me somehow. Um, Maybe, maybe that's what you need to do to feel like you're not going to get sucked into this world and and lose your, your values, lose your, your intentions that you have right now. Yeah. In the meantime, I've been trying to sort of push myself in other ways. I went for my first, um, my first sort of big time backpacking trip uh, in the mountains of of uh, southern Maine, um, sort of <laughs> with a massive backpack on my back and climbing through boulders and getting to the top and then getting caught in a thunderstorm and so hide going back down and hiding under the boulders, um, but sort of just doing what I don't think I'm capable of doing, both physically mm-hmm. and and mentally and allowing myself not to feel like I'm doing nothing, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And are you familiar with uh, the psychology concept called flow uh, pioneered by this guy with an impossible name to pronounce me high chick sent me high. Okay. Sorry. Uh, let me just explain it here. Yeah. That there's this psychological concept called flow, which is an actual thing that research has been done on. It's not like hippie flow or like the flow of the universe, man. <laughs> it's, um, 
it's this state of high challenge and high performance where you are you are doing attempting to do something that's just beyond your your skill level. You you have skills built up already, but it's pushing you just to the next level. It's also connected to the this psychology concept called deliberate practice, which has gotten a lot of press in recent years. Um, it's how expertise is built. And so just hearing what you're saying about like doing something that's just outside of your comfort zone, not not something that's that's way out there. You're not saying like, I need an adventure. Please go airdrop me into, you know, Namibia and <laughs> I'm going to find my way out. That's that's an overwhelming amount of challenge that leads to stress. But if you have an if you have an underwhelming amount of challenge, that leads to boredom. And so there's this great graph when you read the literature about flow that shows you want to be exactly in this realm where your your challenge level is just above your skill level. And I feel like that kind of like, you know, looking at the people who are working around you and, and saying, are these people happy or not? I feel like another really basic metric for, for what, you know, your stage of life right now is, am I doing something that makes me just a little bit nervous, just a little bit anxious? And, and it's kind of it's scary in that exciting way, not scary in the like, I'm about to make a big mistake way. And, you know, so backpacking, you know, going on your first serious backpacking trip, that, that sounds like that met that qualification for you. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. And, and if you have this moment where you're like, I'm just not really sure what to do next at all, I, I feel like that's a great kind of question to ask yourself. It's like, what could I do out of anything in the world? What could I do? That's going to make me just a little bit nervous and ex- and excited and push me just beyond my my comfort zone. And whether it's it's backpacking or taking a job or, or volunteering or or you know doing some writing, there's so many different ways we could express that. Um, a lot of my friends did. Are you familiar with the Vipassana ten day silent meditation retreats? I'm not. No. Ah. I had a lot of friends from Berkeley who did this right after college when especially they were all in the phase of like, I have no idea what I'm doing with my life. And these are free, absolutely free, 10-day long um, meditation retreats that are hosted all over the U.S. and the world also. And it's a certain form of Buddhism called Vipassana. And in this retreat, it's just silent meditation all day long. I think you eat twice and there might be a little bit of instruction that's given, but it's not very long. And you are sitting and meditating all day long for 10 straight days. And it, it sounds, I'm, I told myself I've wanted to do that and I have still not done it because uh, my friends reported just crazy amounts of, of like mental challenge, insane amounts of just like body pain just to sit in one place for 10 days. But uh, it was this thing that because it's free and all it requires is your time and your willingness to put up with this this kind of format of, of sitting and meditating. Um, for a lot of them, that was something that was just, especially those who had like kind of spiritual inclinations, they wanted to push themselves that way. Um, that was something that was that was really accessible to them. And when they didn't know what to do next, they said, okay, I'm going to go do a 10-day Vipassana. <laughs> and then they'd come back and be like, wow, I learned some really intense things about myself. Um so, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you went backpacking, Sarah. <laughs> Long story short, me too. Thank you. <laughs> well, um, let's let's wrap this up and uh, tell me what. Uh, okay, I kind of hate this question. I, I feel a little bit bad for for asking you this, Serafina. Okay. But I'm gonna I'm gonna try anyways. Okay, what could you be doing? In the next two to three years, you know, you, you look through the, the time travel periscope 
and you see yourself doing something in just the next two to three years, what do you think you could be doing that you would feel really proud about that right now? And you look at yourself in the future and think like, man, I am awesome. I'm doing something super cool. Uh, it doesn't have to be super specific. Just w- what would make you proud of yourself? Working internationally. Mm-hmm. Having a job that um, that I was sort of rooted in somewhere in the U.S. or not. Um, but having, having the job that I was passionate about um, allow me to be passionate about it in multiple places and travel and continue sort of seeking new experiences amidst that job and touching different communities just everywhere. So having a a community in the U.S. that you are rooted in, you have a sense of place, you know, the people there, you're having an impact there, but also having this, this freedom to go and travel and work with with communities and people in other parts of the world, hopefully internationally, and, and like bring those experiences and what you've learned there back to your home base. Am I picking this up correctly? You are, yeah, and making some sort of real difference. Yeah. Amen to that. <laughs> That's a lifestyle I, I can get behind. Yeah. Um, Serafina, sure. this has been a, a super fun and interesting conversation for me. Yeah, I'm me glad too. that we made it happen. Me too. Thank you. <laughs> If you enjoyed this ad-free podcast, there are many ways you can support it. You can leave a review on iTunes. You can share it on social media with your friends. You can etch the uh, transcript of this podcast into a, a stone tablet and physically mail it to someone. Uh, that will cost a lot of money in shipping and handling. Uh, you can email it to somebody easier uh, who might benefit from it. Or you can support it directly at offtraillearning.com support.